Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also brought to you by FreshBooks, which makes cloud accounting software which is ridiculously easy to use. FreshBooks has completely transformed how 5 million small businesses deal with their day-to-day paperwork. They do everything from invoices to expenses to time tracking. Get a 30-day free trial and start saving time and money at freshbooks.com ask. And finally, we'd also like to thank Qualcomm for making today's show possible. First, they connected the phone to the internet. Now they're connecting the internet to everything else. Qualcomm, they're the restless inventors bringing the future forward faster. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge. And you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, our podcast about consumer tech. Basically, we are all about making technology easier to understand and use. Even when, frankly, we don't understand it all ourselves. So if you have questions about technology that you've been too embarrassed to ask, please send in your questions. There are a couple ways to submit your questions. First, you can tweet them to at Recode or to myself or Lauren with the hashtag too embarrassed. That's two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. We also have an email address now. It's too embarrassed at recode.net. Again, two R's and two S's. You can find all of our past episodes on iTunes at iTunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask. And while you're there, leave us a review. Well, Kara, we did have a nice couple of weeks together in the same room, mm-hmm. but now you've left me. You're gone. Well, I know. I want you to miss me. That's why. Well, I do immensely. Where are you this week? I'm in Washington, D.C. today, and uh, next week I'll be in Germany. Do you think that the cannabis company we talked about there last week delivers? No, I don't think that. You mean to Germany? Yeah, Germany. No, no I don't think I don't think you're going to. We spoke with. Uh, that was fun. That was a fun show. That was I really, really a fun a show. We learned a lot. It was one of those episodes where we went in, honestly, not knowing that much about the technology. And we did get some good questions right. from our readers who may or may I learned not have been a lot. too embarrassed no, I'm to already... their names. But but yeah and, and i'm it, all ready when california passes the the law uh, legalizing it and we're, we're going to be all ready to go when that happens for recreational purposes care is all about the only, only recreational marijuana apparently yeah absolutely and if you're interested in listening to that um episode with the ceo of ease keith mccarty you can find it um itunes google rico.net basically wherever you find our podcasts you can find all of the previous episodes of too embarrassed to ask and they're not all about illicit stuff there's some really helpful stuff. Well, there yes, too. they are, actually, because this week we're done with drugs and we're moving on to sex, specifically sexting. Lauren, explain why we're doing this. Well, mostly because drugs and sex help uh, our listeners. Is that why we're doing it? Yeah, it's all about the clickbait. Clearly, that's what it's about. <laughs> no, a few weeks ago, Karen and I were sitting here. We were taping a podcast with someone else and the Anthony Weiner scandal. I mean, just the latest one uh, broke. Yeah. And we started chatting about it and we said, you know, this is really... This is really a thing now. It's not just dopey politicians who are getting in trouble for sexting, but mobile messaging is really a way of life now. And that means that all of the things that people might do in real life, IRL, as the kids say, they're also doing over messaging. Right, exactly. And in fact, it's a better medium for that in a lot of ways. And, you know, we can make as much fun as you want about Anthony Weiner, but it's a phenomena. And for parents and others, it can be troubling at the same time. It's also very human if it's consulting adults. And so we wanted to kind of take the stigma away from it in the good parts and talk about the bad parts, too. Um, obviously, it got Anthony Weiner into a lot of trouble 
and sort of ruined his life in a lot of ways. But it brings us to a lot of questions about sexting and about what it means and how we're interacting with our digital devices in different ways. And this is one that uh, everyone tends to giggle at, but at the same time, everybody does, or a lot of people do, for sure. So we've brought in a special guest for this week's podcast to talk about the topic. Uh, In studio with Kara is Caitlin Dewey. She writes about internet culture for the Washington Post, and she also writes a weekly email newsletter called Links I Would G-Chat You If We Were Friends. Caitlin, uh, thank you so much (laughs) for coming on to Embarrassed Ask. And thank you for being our sexting expert. It's so nice to have an expert at sexting. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but thank you for having me. Are you kidding? I live in San Francisco. It's a total compliment. Um, And I just want to say, Caitlin is is all dressed up. I'm wearing like sports clothes and everything. So she looks nice. She's ready to go to talk about this very important issue. And actually, we're going to talk broadly about the cultural phenomena. And then we're going to talk about teenagers, what parents could do to keep an eye on their kids and what they might be doing with their phones. My son is here, actually, probably Snapchatting. I hope he's not doing anything. Thing, just simple Snapchatting. <laughs> He's in the room with you guys. Not have him listening to. No, no, I have him go doing homework somewhere else. So. Oh. Okay. Um, but I definitely, it's something I talk to him about. So he's a 14-year-old, and it's something that's concerning to me. So let's get started with Caitlin. So I guess first, okay, what we should start. start off just asking, what is sexting, or how do you define sexting exactly these days? Yeah, so that's a good question, because a, a lot of people sort of lump two things together when they talk about sexting. You know, they could just be sort of sexually explicit messages that you exchange with a partner or something. Um, Or text or whatever. Right, text. And then there's this whole uh, separate issue of pictures, right, which, um, you know, that documentation adds a whole other layer of, you know, controversy and, and sort of complication to it. And then the rise of it is because of these mobile phones, correct? The, I, the idea is that we're, we all have these things and they're very convenient and you can, you know, just sit on your computer late at night kind of thing. Right. So in preparation for this, Kara, I actually mm-hmm. looked up the first reference of sexting in oh, the media. Oh, good. Tell us. And it was in a Australian newspaper column in 2005. Well, those Australians. And 2005. Of the curve. They were late to it. <laughs> well, so basically, I mean, when you think that cell phones with cameras were becoming widespread in the early aughts, I mean, sexting was pretty much right as soon as that technology was available, mm-hmm. sexting followed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot of it has to do with photos, although it existed before that. There used to be, you know, phone calls that used to do like that and, you know, dirty phone calls and things and people pay for them or not or whatever. It's not a new phenomenon. It's just they're taking these tools and using them for new purposes and video and photos creates an opportunity to do that. Sure. I, I would even hesitate to, you know, sort of define it as its own sort of discrete phenomenon. I mean, really, it's just sort of the an outcropping of the documentary, you know, surveillance culture that we all exist in now. Uh, it's just applied to our sexual lives, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so would you say, th- so you, we, you're saying that it's, it's part of just an ongoing issue with humans. They get another tool and they want to use it for something, and often it has to do with sex or porn or anything else. What are the apps people are using now, though, for this? Uh, obviously, people use mobile phones, but what specifically is the most popular? And if you could go on down the line, that would be helpful. Sure. So I think the most popular apps are still just your basic messaging apps. So that's going to be just, you know, your basic messenger on um, Apple or Android. Um, WhatsApp is also popular. Uh, Snapchat, of course, is Mm -hmm. quite infamous for this, maybe unfairly. Um, Why unfairly? Well, you know, Snapchat is sort of like a, a, a BMS now, but there are still some media outlets who will refer to it as like, you know, Snapchat, the sexting app for kids, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, obviously we know that's not the case. So I, th- I think those are probably the primary ones. But you can find sexting on, on almost any social network or, you know, sexual imagery on any social network that's popular with teenagers. So that would include things like 
um, you know, Tumblr or, you know, there's that new app Musical.ly now. I was just reading something about this in the Times yesterday. Um, some, you know, some concerns there, things like you now, like streaming sites, you know, um, at what point are the kids going to turn this to, to sexier things? We might mm-hmm. not want them to. But not just the kids, the adults too, correct? Right. Well, you know, it's, it's only really problematic when it's done between, you know, uh, children or, or non-consenting individuals. So between consenting adults, I think most of society has come around to sexting. Okay. Right. Unless you're a politician sexting with a Trump supporter, then there, there might, it might be a little problematic then. Just why, a little. Maybe. Why is that? Why is that problematic? Why is that exactly? Because, you know, if everybody's doing it and then everyone makes fun of this guy, why is that happen? Because we're just jackasses as the human race? Or what is the issue there? No, I actually don't think that has anything to do with sexting. If he were sexting his wife, Huma Abedin, I don't think it would have, you know, been really a big deal at all. Of course, it would because it was Anthony Weiner. But in general, if a politician was found to be, you know, um, sexting with the, in the confines of like a committed relationship or marriage, I don't think people would consider that an issue. It's rather goes back to this, you know, whole infidelity thing. And, you know, what does he have a problem? Is it a compulsion? Um, and those are things that really have nothing to do with the technology. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a compulsion when people are using these, these devices? I mean, do these apps and things like that when they're doing it? That's a great question. Um, it's interesting because the science is really out on this one, right? Um, you know, there are a lot of psychologists and, and researchers who are arguing that internet addiction um, and sex addiction should both be added to the, what they call it, you know, the DSM-5 manual, um, which is sort of the, the official list of, of mental disorders that the professional community recognizes. Um, but they've repeatedly chosen not to add them because we don't have enough evidence as to whether they're addictive yet. So people will tell you, you know, they, they feel like it's a compulsion. Um, they feel that they can't stop themselves from going online or from um, sending a, a sexually explicit message or things of that nature. Um, but we, we don't actually know if it's its own addiction or if it's part of some other complex. Mm-hmm. In an article that you wrote following the most recent, you know, Wiener scandal, um, specifically about addiction, you cited a study that said it found that people most inclined to problematic sexting are also the ones inclined towards other sorts of high-risk behaviors. So it kind of begs the question as to whether or not the addiction itself is the problem or symptomatic of another problem. Exactly right. So people who are, are, you know, feel they have this sort of like compulsion to sexting frequently have other issues maybe with um, alcohol or drug abuse, and maybe they uh, suffer from depression or anxiety disorders. So it's, it's sort of like, you know, a chicken or an egg problem. Is the sexting a symptom of this other problem, or is the sexting itself a problem? Um, so that's something researchers are still trying to nail down. Mm-hmm. So is there uh, data around age groups or specific demographics for sexting more than others? Yeah, absolutely. So as you would expect, um, young people sext at a much greater rate than perhaps their parents or grandparents do. Um, I think, you know, there's new studies coming out about this all the time, but I think among college-age students, the rate now is is about um, 70% have sexted, whether a picture or just a, you know, sexy text message that doesn't have a pictorial element. Um, Among teenagers, it's a bit lower. I think it's between 40 and 50%. Uh, and then as you go up from there, it tends to drop down. But I mean, at this point in time, sexting is, is quite normalized, particularly among young people. Um, it's, it's really in no way a, a deviant or unusual behavior. When you think about that, what if it's not a deviant behavior, 
which it isn't at all. It, just, it seems totally healthy to do that. Does it change the nature of relationships when you're doing this over a, a digital means? Because a lot of people are on Tinder. Obviously, Tinder has a it's not a sexting element, but it is. It's a, it's a meeting you and figuring out if you want to hook up with someone later. Does it change the dynamics of how we interact? Because before you sort of had to be witty or interesting or something else. And in this way, you have to be interesting in a whole different way or just be bald-facedly just sexy, just say dirty things to people. So how do you imagine that impacting society? Because that's how people interact with each other. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good question. I mean, I've read, you know, that young people today are not any more promiscuous or sort of more sexual than they were 20 or 40 or 50 years ago, despite this impression that we have um, that, you know, kids are sexting all the time. Like there's all of a sudden this this culture where you sort of have to perform your sexuality uh, through technology all the time. I don't actually think that's the case. Um, I sort of suspect the the thing that makes sexting uh, impactful in our relationships is the fact that now this sort of like evidence of our sexual interactions lives on, right? Mm-hmm. So that requires um, an element of trust and sort of dynamic there that perhaps was not as necessary before when we weren't documenting these interactions. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure it necessarily I- impacts relationships per se. I mean, people were still seeing each other naked, whether there were pictures to prove it or not. So Right. But at the same time, you, you can't talk to people. You know, this is the way you interact and talk to people. I've seen teens talk to each other sitting right next to each other all the time. It happens almost continually. And that's the way you interact. And it's not necessarily a bad way. It's just a different way mm-hmm. to do so. Yeah, I mean, you have a 14-year-old, so you're probably the expert here. I am. I know. I watch very carefully. I mean, he's using it largely for communications than anything else, I think. You know, I don't think, you know, it's nothing. There may be a body thing or two every now and then, but I think he likes the filters and he likes it's, – it's largely a communications and trying to one-up each other. Um, but it's largely through Snapchat, and it's largely to amuse each other, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mean, you change. have to wonder about the the actual impact on promiscuity. As you mentioned, Caitlin, when these interactions are happening, you know, entirely in this kind of virtual environment, you know, on the one hand, is there a risk of desensitizing, especially younger people, perhaps? On the other hand, if they're not actually interacting in real life, then maybe these sort of performances or acts aren't happening in real life, which is the other side of it. That's really interesting. I, you know, I don't know if we've established whether these are sort of supplemental to people's real-life sexual relationships or whether they replace them. I, I suspect it's supplemental. But, I mean, yeah, you raise a great point. I mean, teens are waiting longer to have sex now than at any other point, um, you know, in recorded history. Um, so if, if you, you know, want to sort of claim that, like, sexting or, you know, things like that sexualizes teens or exposes them to uh, sexual imagery at an earlier age. I'm not really sure that's uh, the case or yeah. that it's having the harmful impact that some people worry about. It might about. be letting off steam in a lot of ways. Yeah, We have Could no, d- we have um, no data get- to support this, by the way. But some countries, you know, are suffering from low birth rates right now. I know in Italy, they've launched a campaign to try to get people to procreate, essentially, and um, Japan. And, you know, and years from now, we're probably going to, it's all going to tie back to sexting. It's all going to be like, this is the reason why birth <laughs> rates are down. Doctor. People have just been sexting you, the whole time Good. and not con- Consummating their relationships. I just think it's really interesting because you had written, Caitlin, that it's a wrinkle in modern love is what it is. It's just another wrinkle and stuff like that. We're going to talk a little bit about best practices and also issues around parents and teens uh, when we get back after a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, the super simple cloud accounting software that's helping over 5 million small service-based business owners conquer their administrative and paperwork in less time 
with way less stress. It takes only 30 seconds to create and send a polished, professional-looking invoice. And customers who accept online payments with FreshBooks get paid three days faster on average. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've emailed. It's kind of like having superpowers. They also track your expenses, cash flow, and time you're spending on each project. For an unrestricted 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com slash ask and enter Too Embarrassed to Ask in the How You've Heard About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash ask to start your 30-day free trial. We'd also like to thank Qualcomm for sponsoring this episode. If you're listening to this podcast, you love innovation. You're also going to love the Why Wait Invent-Off by Qualcomm. It's an online documentary series in which two teams are challenged to invent something that uses the Internet of Things to save a life. The teams are given a Qualcomm Snapdragon-powered device and a Dragonboard 410C loaded with advanced processing power, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and GPS. And that Dragonboard is the size of a credit card. Check out qualcomm.com slash inventoff to see what they invented. Thanks, Qualcomm. And finally, today's show is brought to you by Videoblocks, a stock media company that everyone can afford. With a Videoblocks subscription, you get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. This is the same content you'd find on more expensive sites. It's just way cheaper. Videoblocks is always adding new content to the library so it stays fresh. As a subscriber, you get everything 100% royalty-free even if you cancel your subscription. Whether you're working on a personal or commercial product, you pay zero royalties and keep what you download forever. Videoblocks is offering our listeners a one-year subscription for $99. That's $50 off the usual price tag for our listeners only. Get your yearly subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com ask. That's videoblocks, which is V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash ask for that exclusive offer. We're back with Caitlin Dewey, a columnist for The Washington Post who writes about Internet culture. And we've been talking about sexting and what it means for full-grown adults. Now we're talking about what it means for younger people, specifically teens who are obsessed with their smartphones, as I can attest since I have them, but also what it means to have access to more stuff and be able to see things and do things that other teens weren't able to do just a dozen years ago. And uh, earlier this week, I pulled up some interesting stats from Pew Research around teens and messaging and sexting specifically, and we thought we'd share uh, this with our listeners now from Pew's Teens Social Media and Technology Overview from 2015. 91% of teens go online from a mobile device, at least occasionally. So that's the overwhelming majority. And I thought this was really interesting. The number of text messages sent or received by cell phone owning teens ages 13 to 17, a typical day is 30. But the number of messages exchanged for girls is higher. They're typically sending and receiving 40 messages a day, which, I mean, anecdotally doesn't strike me as unusual. When I was growing up, I know that um, my female friends and I talked on the phone a lot more than maybe some other kids did. But another Pew study from October 2015 said that among all teens surveyed, 10% of teens have sent flirty or sexy pictures or videos of themselves. But interestingly, if they had quote-unquote dating experience in some way, that number went up to 23% of teens with dating experience having sent sexy or flirty pictures or videos to someone that they were interested in. Yeah, and the Pew research also shows there can be issues of harassment and coercion, which, Caitlin, you have written about. And I'll I'll tell you, in my kids' school, there was an issue around this with pictures getting out, everybody in trouble, everybody talking about it. It was quite a big deal at the school. I think every school has an iterative version of this. 
And it was pretty surprising how hurtful it was to people to have these photos get out that one, someone sent to the other. So talk a little bit about this and what you've written about it. Yeah, so, you know, we typically only hear those sort of um, horror stories that you've mentioned. I think it's important to point out that the vast majority of, of even teens who sexed um, do so within the bounds of relationships, uh, research has shown, and they actually don't suffer any consequences from it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a parent, don't absolutely panic after well, you just need this. one story, right? Right, exactly. Naked exactly. pictures exactly. of your child get out, yeah. Um, but, you know, what's really concerning is, is that, um, you know, a, a study from Indiana University, I think it was about two years ago, found that one in five women who has sexted uh, felt that she was coerced or compelled into it by her sexting partner, you know, most frequently a a boy. And those are the young women who tend to have a lot of problems with sexting. Um, Frequently, those are the situations that lead to what you were describing, where the pictures are then passed around or they're used as blackmail. And, you know, I've I've spoken to people at various uh, domestic violence centers and organizations about this, and, and they say they consider sexting coercion to actually be sort of a new emerging form of domestic violence um, and something they urge parents to talk to their daughters about and, you know, young women to talk to their friends about and that sort of thing. And mothers talk to their sons about. Of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. I think I threatened to break my kids' fingers if you ever send something rude to a woman online. <laughs> I believe that's my it's it's a good policy. Yeah, I'm and such that's a good just parent. and that's just if he's being safe. rude that you're not even you know talking <laughs> about if you were to share something. No, I, you know the, the famous Vanity Fair article that caused all kinds of ruckus around Tinder, uh, and it was also about sexting and other things among young people where they seem so callous and rude to each other. And it was you talk a little about that article because it sort of sent reverberations. Tinder responded saying this is not how people behave on the on the site, and it was an it was an over you know, it was a sort of a purple version of it, like, oh, this is dramatic and scary. And, you know, talk about that article, because that had a big impact. I think. Yeah. I mean, that article was, I think, a, a compilation of everyone's worst visions for like the future of romance and mm-hmm. society. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, there is a lot of evidence that people behave differently online. Um, you know, we have this thing called the online disinhibition effect. Um, What's that? Disinhibition. Disinhibition. That's how Lauren behaves all the time. But go ahead. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) It's basically, you know, this idea that people uh, will do or say things online, um, particularly under a mask of anonymity that they would never do in real life because they're not getting that sort of visual um, or real time feedback to what they're doing. Um, So, yes, it's true. People can tend to be more callous in those types of communications. Um, You know, there's been some research to suggest that people on online dating sites feel their partners are more disposable than uh, they might have if they didn't have that wonderful pool of potential dates always waiting for them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, generally, the article you're talking about regarding Tinder that was in Vanity Fair I mean, I, I think anyone who has experience on a dating site and who has read it will see sort of glimpses of truth, but will also recognize right. that that is sort of the lowest of the low and, and not representative of the It was interesting because I literally read it and I woke up my son and I was like, if you ever behave like this. And I, you know, I was like, I was just, I was furious. I don't know what it, I literally woke him out of a dead sleep. Like, let me just tell you, this is very upsetting. And I don't even think he was, had a phone at the time. I just was so... Uh, upset by the concept of it, largely because of how women were treated in the and when you're raising boys you think about that a lot um, but it was it definitely set off a, a debate because you don't want to go the other way saying there's no problem either at the same time right so oh, by the way people that, what, ooh, people used sorry. to stack multiple dates into one night without 
necessarily using apps like that too. I remember reading that right. and thinking, all right, long before apps, I remember hearing stories of people saying, well, I, you know, I went out for a happy hour with this person, but I gave myself an exit in case it didn't go well. And so then I had dinner with someone else or whatever it might be, right? And so the, like in terms of just dating and interacting, I think there have always been people who have maybe been like, were the fringe cases and technology is just now doing different things to enable them. Yeah, I agree with you so completely. I, I feel like so many of the sort of moral panics we have regarding technology, social media, and sort of like dating and sex in particular are actually moral panics about things that exist in human yeah, nature absolutely. and exist offline. But now they're so much more visible because of the technology. And, you know, the technology seems to reinvent them in new ways for us to get excited and upset about. Um, so I, I think the Tinder article might be an example yeah. of that. Do you think people get desensitized to this or is it or is it bringing awareness? I mean, we have a presidential candidate talking about his groin several times, you know, in a major debate. Like, so obviously everyone's sort of desensitized in a lot of ways. At the same time, their disinhibition is exactly this. They just behave any way they feel like it and it, and it spills over into real life. Yeah, I mean, I think we're certainly getting more accustomed to sexual imagery and, you know, discussion in, in the public life. I mean, just think what, you know, people were wearing the last time you turned on your, you know, just regular cable television. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's true. Absolutely. So talk about best practices, like just for teens and for adults too. What are the best practices? Should you be on Telegram if you're an adult, if you if you know, if you don't want your stuff out there is, or just, you know, Jennifer Lawrence had her pictures put on Reddit. Everyone, see every week there seems to be Leslie Jones was hacked. I have hack attacks all the time. Not that I have any, I mean, they're mostly pictures of food, essentially, um, <laughs> food porn. Um, but I, I was looking through them. I was thinking, I don't have any really good pictures. I should take some. Um, but what, what are the best practices if you're an adult and then if you're a parent and an educator? It came up in my school last night and all the parents were in a panic. And I was the one saying, will you not worry about it? You should worry about raising your kids right, not about the devices. Um, but the, they were blaming the devices. So talk first about best practices for adults in this area and then best practices around kids? Um, well, if you're an adult, I mean, obviously the sort of uh, safest thing to do from a privacy standpoint is to um, share pictures within the confines of a relationship with someone you trust, if, if, if that's really something you're concerned about getting out. As far as sort of storage is concerned, a, lo a lot of the hacks and leaks of nude pictures, um, the pictures have been stored on cloud devices or... Which know, are all of them. Right. Um, so, you know, I would never, ever discourage uh, anyone, a man or a lady, from taking sexy pictures of themselves. Go for it. But you probably the safest thing to do is, like, to take it on an old-fashioned film camera. Polaroid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take a Polaroid. Uh, put it in the snail mail. Put it under your it bed. Off USPS. <laughs> Hopefully the mailman doesn't get curious and go through right. the mail. All right. So <laughs> Polaroid is not really the answer. What, what, can, what are the best places to protect them? <laughs> well, not send them to anybody, not take them probably, but you don't want to do. So what, what would you imagine is a safer place? I know iCloud was, a, was the one, was the problem with Jennifer Lawrence's, I think, an iPhone situation where they called, right? They somehow got a, they got a human being rather than these two-factor authentication and mm -hmm. like that. Right. So, you know, I've, I've written about this once before and our advice at the time after doing a lot of research into the various options that were out there is that um, your best bet uh, if you want to protect your privacy when you're sexting is actually not in your choice of app, 
but actually how you take the picture. So, you know, this might not aesthetically be what you're looking for, but, you know, if if you are taking a nude picture of yourself, maybe try to anonymize it as much as possible. So if you have a distinct tattoo or, you know, don't have your face in there, um, have it against a sort of anonymous background. Um, And then for the extra paranoid in the audience, there are easy ways to sort of remove your cameras and your phone's metadata from the photo, oh. which you can also do before you send it. Because um, that's what you're thinking when you're making <laughs> all the metadata. I shall somehow. Well, I assume that the people listening to this podcast are probably like the one audience for that. Yes, that's true. All right. what, <laughs> yeah, is the, what is totally. the way to remove metadata? They're like, oh, I already I strip all my EXIF data now already from yes. photos before yeah. I send them. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to be able to remember the exact extension now, but, you know, we recommended uh, one good free tool for uh, Windows and one for Mac. If you Google, like, how to send a safe sex to Washington Post, those will come up. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what else? What other things? Telegram or the other services, the Cyberdust or whatever? I laugh every time you say Telegram because I'm thinking of, like, ISIS members sexting each other. Right, exactly. (laughs) They might. You know what? You know. Um, well, you I mean, at least know. if you use um, Snapchat, I will say that, you know, when someone does take a screen grab of something you've sent in Snapchat, you are immediately notified that someone has taken a screen grab of you. So presumably the person that you're exchanging messages with, you trust to a point. But if they do start taking screen grabs and you're kind of like, hey, you could say like, hey, what's going on? Why are you saving these? Right. The whole point is they're supposed to go away. Yeah. I mean, that's the unfortunately the problem with Every app, I mean, there are actually several apps designed just for safe sexting. I'm not going to be able to remember them now. I think there might have been one called, like, Cuddle or something like that. Cuddle? <laughs> but but they all tell you, you know, they all have these disclaimers, like, we can try to make you as safe as possible, but there's nothing we can do to disable the screenshot function on the other end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, yes, you could call someone out and say, you took a, a picture of my sext, but then they already have the picture. That's right. So. Mm-hmm. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. But you know, right. anytime you load them up to a cloud, that's mm-hmm. you're just risking that no matter what you do in some way. And, you know, one of the things I would recommend, I think Lauren probably has some things, is two-factor authentication on a lot of your, your – you should have it on everything. I'm con- Again, I'm constantly getting hacked at. Um, some things aren't, like uh, Comcast doesn't have – I just yelled at them last night for this, lack of two-factor authentication. There's all kinds of other ways on all kinds of apps where you can guarantee uh, special questions, special uh, things. And so you're not subject to someone calling customer service and tricking them into doing it because that's the way people do get in. It's a really interesting way is mm-hmm. if they can get to a person. Yes. That's often the way they can get into it. 2FA, use it. Own it. Love it. Two-factor yeah. auth. Yeah. There are lots yeah. of different applications else, out there Lauren? that you what can try. protective things? But it, less about, what, about um, what we can do if I'm saying we in sort of the um, speculative sense. What we can do to sort of protect from illicit selfies getting out there, whatever it might be. If you are a parent or you are an educator and you have to sort of instill in... Uh, younger people like listen this digital footprint you're leaving isn't going to disappear you may feel safe about it but just be forewarned here are the possible consequences what is the best way to do that so i was reading something about this earlier it was uh, about a written by a a sex educator i believe in louisiana i want to say and she was saying you know if you start the conversation with teens from sort of like a dramatic or scary or alarmist place like everything you do lives online like you've already lost the audience right um you know, they are very comfortable online. Um, they do not f- 
feel the same sense of like risk and consequence. So she was saying it's really important to um, sort of ease into the sexting conversation. She was suggesting this metaphor that you say, you know, um, you always wear a seatbelt in the car, even though, you know, 99.9% of your car trips, you're not going to get in a crash. Um, and you should probably think the same way about how you behave online, whether it comes to sexting, whether it becomes your, whether it comes to, you know, um, drunken photos, right, whatever you post that may be inadvisable, mm-hmm. um, you want to sort of wear a seatbelt metaphorically, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's definitely hard because, again, my son got into trouble because they did a video, the lacrosse team, of course, um, you know, they were singing a song that had some misogynistic terms in it. And uh, he wasn't singing, which I was pleased with, but he was there and he was in the video and then sort of laughing, just smiling about it. And, you know, I, I when we talked about it um, and he did apo- ended up apologizing to the class, which I, I'm glad he did. He did it on his own. But even though he hadn't been singing it, I felt like you were there and you didn't stop it. So it was kind of hard to, you know, because they get they forget that everything's getting videotaped. And that wasn't the sexting thing, but it was a similar kind of thing it was like they just don't they don't remember that everything is now posted everything is posted which mm-hmm. is really interesting and that's yeah, hard whole hard not to fear monger at them yeah so you are in a documentary society so that's really hard and right. so when they move on to other things i think consequences they just don't they're not even thinking anymore it's like a kim kardashian society everybody is kim kardashian at this point that's true but that i mean that also means that maybe in uh 10 or 20 years when yeah, you know those kids are running for political office or oh, whatever. Yeah. Will be fun. Be accepting of it yeah. or yeah. Right. Oh yeah, I did that. Or I, st- I. What is it? What is Bill Clinton again? I can't remember. I I didn't inhale. Whatever. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know what the number one takeaway from all of this is: don't use Twitter DM. I <laughs> don't use Twitter DM. <laughs> yes, especially if you're the CFO of Twitter, you you have to not use it. Actually, Twitter DM is dangerous in many many ways. I have I have made mistakes on that myself. Usually, it's me saying "yep" or something like that. But I'm waiting. Or don't for the bother day. me. I'm waiting. For, <laughs> don't bother me. Leave me alone. Dick Costo, stop inviting me to dinner. Um, all right, before we let you go, we have to ask you. You once wrote it in the newsletter that you tried to explain sexting to your mom, and it ended not well. Can you can you recount that, that upon the end of the thing? Because I think older people sex. I think it's you know I'm an older lady. I I like to write a racy uh, text every now and again. Just for some context, my mother only recently acquired a smartphone and learned how to text. Okay. Uh, she still does the sort of like one poke, you know, around her keyboard for letters there. Um, so I think the point of our contention was, you know, my mother said, you know, no one should be sexting. If you want to avoid these problems, just don't do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, me being the good young feminist that I am was like, mom, stop victim blaming. You know, women can sext if they want. You know, men can sext if they want. Um, it's the perpetrator's problem. So we had sort of like an argument down that road as, as to whether who the onus is on to stop the sex from getting out there. But I repeat that while we have this sort of pathologized narrative around Mm -hmm. sexting, the vast majority of sex do not have consequences for anyone involved. Right. And they're part of a healthy adolescence relationship, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And did your mom eventually come around to that? Oh, no, never. Never, never. (laughs) Did you... Did you give her best practices or not? No. <laughs> Mom, you can anonymize your pictures. I mean, come on. I actually don't. I don't think she knows how to take pictures on her phone yet. So. Oh, really? She oh, recently wow. learned emoji, so maybe I'll teach her. Well, the, some of the emojis the various, are kind of. Have exactly. you seen the Kim emo- emojis? Some of them are. <laughs> yeah. I had my much younger son send me some of those, and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I was horrified. And He's like, Mom, just we're just having eggplant life. for dinner. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> he knew just what they were. It, didn't take, it was like having a Playboy, you know, under your bed from the 1950s. It was the exact same thing, except I got them. I was on the receiving end of the emojis. And I actually brought it up with Kim Kardashian. And she, of course, was like, did he like them? I'm like, he's 11. Of course he liked them. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Anyway, it was funny. She thought that was funny. But in any case, I have one final question that maybe Lauren does. When you're writing about broader sexual things online, what do you think the trend's going forward? Is it going to be VR? Is it going to be – what do you think about those things or AR, VR, or what? Like what do you imagine the future is like? Is it like in Sleeper where people put on helmets and had sex or there's a bunch of – like there's a Sandra Bullock, Sylvester Stallone movie, if you can believe they starred in a movie together. Similar to that, where do you imagine it going? Definitely it seems like virtual reality is the next frontier, right? Mm-hmm. Um but from everything I've heard, the apps that are available now are just, like, extremely awkward. They are. So maybe it's a matter of the technology catching up to our sexual imaginations. Mm-hmm. Lauren? No more questions for me. Uh, <laughs> okay. This has been really fascinating. I've learned a lot from this, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. A lot. She just downloaded an anonymizer right now. Um, <laughs> Caitlin, thank you so much. for. I'm sorry, Lauren. I don't, I'm, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. We live in San Francisco. Lauren, you can date a goat as far as I'm concerned. If that's, you know, um, uh, but please, please anonymize ever, it. If my please Facebook page ever shows me in a relationship with a goat, please just have a sit-down talk with me, okay? <laughs> no, I know. It's, hey, you know, it's at San Francisco. You can do whatever you want. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thank you so much for having me. And if you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And subscribing is great. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. That's iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn, or Stitcher or listen to every episode at recode.net slash podcasts. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. The Verge also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Neelai Patel host Control, Walt Delete, one of my favorite podcast names ever. Neelai also usually hosts The Verge Cast and Chris Plant hosts What's Tech. Don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. Thanks for listening, and thank you again to our sponsors Casper, Qualcomm, FreshBooks, and Videoblocks. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask. Tune in then.